This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Sisters, if you are going through a thing, I got a new best friend to introduce you to. Carol Pesci has a new book called Hello Beautiful. It is filled with resources to help you along the way. And what do you say we go vegan? Like for the first three weeks of the new year. Want to try it? We've got the vegan starter kit for you coming up. But first, I fell in love this week and I have got to introduce you to Steve Simpson. He's writing young adult novels, and in the back of the book is a survival guide for kids who may be in a troubled home or going through hard times. Brilliantly sneaky to feed this life-saving info to children. Steve Simpson, tell the story. I was an abused child and alcoholic, and I can tell you in the holidays, while other children were looking forward to the holidays and what they're doing with their families, I was dreading it. And my first years as a student, I was the worst student. I used to say I was a Z student, the absolute A student. But even though I hated school, I didn't want it to end because I knew that would mean I'd be home more. And when you're home more and you live with an abusive alcoholic, that means you have a better chance of getting abused. I was suicidal at the time I was 11 years old. I would run away a lot. I replaced it with one of escape because I was always really escaping what I was living with. Now, Fortunately for me, what happened was um, one of my runaway attempts, and I was at a friend's house, they called protective services, and I was put in foster care. Now, simultaneously, once I went in foster care, I went to a self-help group, kind of like the ones I run myself over the years. And one of the immediate things I learned was all the things I was told by my father and all the horrible things and uh, were not true. You know, these are things that alcoholics say to their kids. Because I noticed in the group there were really smart kids in the group, and their parents called them the same thing as me. And I was like, but you're smart. And I realized it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with what he called me. So uh, what happened was eventually I tried to study, because <laughs> I never bothered before, because I figured, what's the use if I'm stupid? And to make a long story short, and ended up on the honor roll, ended up in the honor society, uh, ended up having 100 averages, uh, even was made student of the month. I actually hung my picture up, not just for my class, for the entire grade, and saying, hey, be like him. And I used to laugh at that picture because that would be a dartboard in the teacher's faculty room only two years prior. And I was always able to do that. So for me, surviving, some of the ways to survive was what? Getting involved with self-help groups. Uh, there's plenty of those out there. Uh, I recommend to young people if they're still in school to speak to the school social worker. Yeah, I used to always say, I know what they're going to say. I don't need to speak to them. I know what they're going to say. That was my famous line. I did know what they were going to say. They said a lot of things I didn't think of, and they were very helpful. So I always direct people to go to the school social worker. Churches are a big source of 12-step programs, self-help groups. Tell you to be a church you belong to. Uh, you can usually go and ask whatever pastor or the office worker what they have available. And usually, if not that one, a different one will have something for free to accommodate you. There's also uh, centers, any community centers have these things, too. And just a lot of the ways I will care myself with team, that's what I actually put in the books that I wrote, the, the handbook, the Teenage Young Adult Survival Handbook. And let's talk about that. Now you're writing novels, and inside the young adventure novels, we've got the Teenage and Young Adult Survival Handbook. So this is a tricky way to get to kids, right? Tucking it in a, in a well, book. Well, it is, because absolutely, you hit the point, because if you had hit my worst of abuse, when I was being abused, I was suicidal, if you handed me just the handbook, 
okay, that covers suicide, covers running away, covers self-esteem, all these things. I never would have accepted it from you. I don't need this. Can you picture a teacher going in front of a classroom and saying, I have something on being a child of an alcoholic. Who would like one? No one's going <laughs> to no raise, their, gonna hand. raise their hand. Of course not. Right. Yeah, one every five students fall in that category. So the fact that I, I kind of snuck it inside of fiction novels, now you can hand one of the fiction novels and say, hey, I know you love stories like this. And now you don't have this whole conflict with them. And that would have worked with me because I loved them. I used to write those stories. I love to read them. And But you say a prayer while they have it, they go, what's this? And then they'll get to the handbook. A teacher can now say, hey, guys, I'm giving you a break. We're going to do a book report on a cool book, a fun book. But you got to read the whole thing. The grade is irrelevant. you got them to read the important information. And once they read the handbook, they find out I'm not the only one that has this problem. Okay, that's the first thing. The most important thing if you young person knows is I'm really not the only one. And there's other alternatives other than killing myself or running away. One in five kids comes from an alcoholic home? Is that what you Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. One every five children comes from an alcoholic or drug addicted home. And in those one out of five, which one's suicidal? Which one has no self-esteem? That's not even counting the ones that don't come from an alcoholic home but still have these issues. Who's right. being bullied, you know, uh, which is a big issue in school. One thing I address in the book, too, is why are certain children always being bullied? No one ever wants to talk about that. There's certain characteristics. And uh, one of the big things I bring out is, which in my case, if they're being bullied at home, I'd say they'll play that role and be bullied in school. Wow. We are talking to Steve Simpson. He's written a bunch of books and tucked inside the book is a small guide called the Teenage and Young Adult Survival Handbook, and this is saving lives. Teachers should know about it. Neighbors should know about it. Give us the eyes to spot a kid who's being abused at home, because we are trauma ignorant in this society. I am sure you were going to school traumatized from what happened at home, but no one could read the signs. Give us the signs. Tell us what to look for. Well, for example, I would have been labeled ADD. Back then it was called hyperactive. I couldn't concentrate in school, but I had all these labels on me. Back then, the old term was hyperactive, which they changed to ADD. I didn't have ADD, and I wasn't hyperactive. If you're being abused all night long or all morning, there's screaming, there's yelling going on, how can you focus on school the next morning? So that's one thing. I mean, I had a conversation with a special education teacher. I said, honestly, off the record, how many kids you have there are really children of alcoholics, and they, they can function. They just can't function because of their abuse at home. She looked at me and said half. Wow. You know, wow. and I was like, wow, I didn't expect that, that answer. She, I thought she was see maybe a few. So, again, one of the telltale things is, why is this kid not coming? Is it a physical diagnosis? And some children, by the way, do fall in that category. But many, uh, it's, just a, it's just a cover-up. It's the non-abusive, codependent parent, which I have. My mom, I love her. But back then, she'd cover up for everything. And she'd love labels like that because that's the excuse. Well, he has ADD, as he's hyperactive, and now we don't have to discuss, why is he so hyper, though? What's going on in his life at home? So that, that's a telltale. That's one of the biggest telltales. Also, like a short fuse. If a child either A, gets violent real fast, or B, gets sad real fast and cries, why are they so overreactive? Possibly because they're being abused at home already. And when they get to school, that's just to straw that broke the camel's back. So if a child can't concentrate, if a child gets violent or gets sad really quickly, those are signs that they could be being abused. Those could be signs. If they're so over-extreme reactions, what's going on here? You know, uh, extreme reactions. And if you hear things out of their mouth, that seems like, you know, a young kid shouldn't be saying this. You know, like, oh, well, cursing or, or I'm an, again, any term at all, like, what's the sense? I don't even want to live anymore. Don't ever take that lightly. Don't ever t- I, I, I've dealt with suicide for many years. I have never had one individual that was doing it for attention. Not even one. 
the, here's another phrase I never heard. The non-abusive codependent parent. That's the person yep. who isn't drunk or hitting or, or abusing, but they're covering up for the one who is? Absolutely. And what also happens is, and this is tragic, is that person doesn't get help. So maybe they divorce or they separate from the parent, but then they date someone else with the same exact personality, another alcoholic. Now, this child's not going through a secondary abuser. And they and then they stop believing everything that's said to him is true. I, I must be all these things because now two adults have called me these names. Yeah, and, and, and that tends to happen a lot. you know. And, and I, I caution anyone who might be relating to this, Instead of making all the excuses for the abuser, you got to protect your children. you got to reverse the role. Because as your children become adults, they will resent you for that, uh, that you, you kept this in this household, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, it, it's a codependent one that becomes almost as guilty as the abuser, even though they're not physically hurting the children, but they're allowing it to happen. Steve Simpson, you are something else. What, what, can you look back at the one thing and say, this saved my life when I was a kid? Well, first of all, for me... Okay, getting involved in the, in, in the self-help group, a friend had told me to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I went. That was tremendous for me because at that point, I was at the end of my ropes. I honestly was. And ironically, being put in foster care. And my mom eventually did separate from my father, had nothing to do with him, got her own home, God bless her, and went back to her. But being in foster care for me was a healthy because I was completely out of that environment. And I also got to see how healthy parents react. When they get in arguments, they don't fight each other, beat each other up. So for me, those are two pivoting moments. Uh, the be removed from that, that abuse, but also to be in a self-help group, which is tremendous for me. I, I was able to get the tools and really learn, and that's where my self-esteem came, because some of them saw some of the things I wrote, poems and so on, and they were like, if I get A's and you write this poem, you should get A's. What is the problem? <laughs> you know, so it was actually other peers helping me, which is tremendous. I think he's tremendous. Steve Simpson. Go to powerpublishingcorp.com. And I have the latest young adult novel, Who Am I?, with the survival guide in the back. If you need it, email me from the website, kacey.co. And tell teachers about this guy, Steve Simpson. Okay, ladies, if you're going through a challenging time, meet your new best friend, Carol Pesci, who wrote a survival guide of sorts herself. It's called Hello, Beautiful. What did she find her way through? Ex had an affair, brought me to my literal and figurative knees, and um, was very aware that how I chose to respond to it was going to dictate my future, not what happened. You were very aware that how I was choosing to respond to what happened to me was going to dictate the future course of my life, not what happened to me. How did you know that? I just knew, and and intuitively, I also knew so many people, when you get hurt like that, um, and sadly too many people have been there, Initial reaction, knee-jerk reaction is hurt back. And my friends would even try to help me. They'd be like, oh, you know what I would do? Mm. I would do this to get him back. And I knew intuitively, Casey, that intentionally hurting another person back, even though you could say I was justified, was not going to advance the state of my own happiness. Mm. And I chose to rise above it. It wasn't like I gave him permission, said, it's okay, you cheated, honey. No, Mm. no. But I did not go out of my way to hurt him back. I went out of my way to focus on where I wanted my life to get to and then consistently made choices that were gonna get me closer to that. And I wanted to be happy again, and I wanted to be married again, and I wanted to fall in love again, and not be uh, shrouded by this fear of getting hurt. All right, you, you talk with your hands, and judging by the big amount of diamonds on your hands, <laughs> things worked out. Yeah, things did work out. I'm married to an amazing guy who treats me so well, and uh, go me, he's eight years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> and he cooks for me. Yeah. Oh, I got to cook at home, too. All right. What kind of work did you do to keep your ship sailing straight during those days? 
I had to learn to open up. I'm, I'm pretty private, and I also don't like to put pressure on other people when I'm down or angry or whatever. But there was not a ton of people I confided in, but a few that you trust, your you know your closest friends to count on them. And it was really um, also about rebuilding relationship with myself. I counted on myself because I really wanted to build my confidence because it crushes you when that happens. Your self-esteem goes down to below ground level. And so I had to really keep myself focused on what I wanted, not the why me's, what did I do to deserve this, which I did all that, (laughs) all that normal stuff. But don't stay there because you won't get the right answers. You're going to get all the reasons why you're not good enough. You got to, what do I want now? You, You found your way out. I did. And, and beautifully. Yeah, and and it's so funny, Casey, and this is the presence of mind if we can bring this to the challenges we face. It's difficult when we're going through them, whatever it is. Like in my case, it was an affair and subsequent divorce, job loss, uh, the illness of somebody you love or death of somebody you love. When we're in it, it consumes us and it's very difficult to um, to see out of it. But if we can have that presence that I may not love what I'm going through right now, mm. but I recognize there will be a way I can make it serve me and serve other people that I can use my experience in a way to get myself to a better place or get other people to a better place. Because what was the worst time in my life has become the greatest gift of all. So now, hello, beautiful, yes, yes you. Mm-hmm. Who should be reading this book? This book is for women, honestly, of all ages. And I and I include teens in this as well. This is for any female who deals with self-doubt, who deals with insecurity, regret over the past, and comparing herself to other people. If we have that voice of self-doubt in us, if you're dealing with anxiety, that's another big one right there, um, and regret. I would say those three things, self-doubt, anxiety, and regret. Self-doubt, anxiety, and regret. All right, let's chip away at it. I think there's spectrum issues because we all have self-doubt. We all have anxiety. We all have regret in our lives to certain degrees. And sometimes even the most successful and confident people can have self-doubt. The Dalai Lama deals with the voice of self-doubt. Yeah. So you just hit on one of the major points of this whole book, Hello Beautiful. I believe firmly that the most beautiful and powerful version of each of us is the whole one, Casey, the sum of all we are. And I think one of the the problems, positive thinking is a wonderful thing, and I'm a big advocate, but I feel like we've brought it to an extreme. Mm where we feel like we're failing at being ourselves when we have a bad day and we do feel sad or we do feel angry and we think, no, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Right. <laughs> so bringing together the whole sum of all of you and not fighting against yourself. So here's what happens, right? You, you deal with self-doubt or you have a bad day or you're feeling down and then you feel like, I shouldn't feel that way. So then you have the judgment on top of it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which actually amplifies it. So if we give ourselves permission to be human, mm-hmm and say, I'm not failing at being me because I want to cry today, and let ourselves cry, Right, it's going to move through you much faster. It is, I think, at the bedrock, self-love. Yes. If you can have a bad day or make a mistake or not feel great and say, but honey, I got you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and say that if, to yourself. that's your first reaction, yeah. train your brain to say, but honey, I got you. Yeah. Because it, you, you can't search for it outside. Right. You can't, it's an inside job. Right. So self-doubt, everybody has it. Regrets. Yes. Um, everybody has that too. And I wonder if you think there's any healing benefit of looking at your past regrets. I think so. And I, th- I think first, again, it goes back to the negative emotions. Don't think you're failing because you have regret or done things you wish you hadn't or experienced things you wish that happened to you. you wish. We all do that. What you want to get out of is that why me? 
what you want to get out of is feeling like you're stuck, like you have no choice over your future because of what happened in the past. It's such a disempowering feeling that I can't go back and change it. No, you can't. I give you that. Mm. But you can start asking new questions. You can start saying, how can that experience make me stronger, not weaker? How can I take that experience and use it in a way that I can show up in this world for other people? Mm-hmm. Whether that's through what you do with your radio show or whether it's through writing or whether it's just through simple one-on-one interaction with strangers and people you know. Doubt, regret, and anxiety. Anxiety, yeah. So what, how can you help us down from that cliff? Part of that is uh, with social media, what we're dealing with is we're comparing ourselves to something that's fake and filtered. And then we look at ourselves and think we're failing at being us. And what the exercises I take you through in this book, Hello Beautiful, is to show you that all of you is the best of you, not a masked version of you, not a partial version of you. I suffered for a long time with my own self-doubt and I still have it, like it shows up, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't dominate, it's not in charge anymore because I kept thinking I'm supposed to be this happy person and that's how I'll be respected and heard and accepted if I'm always happy. Mm -hmm. So when I was really not feeling happy inside, I would never talk about it. So I'd never get the help I needed. I'd never get that connection with other people. And this rift between what I was feeling on the inside and feeling on the outside grew. So when we learn to allow space for that, we actually lessen our anxiety because when we have negative emotions, whether it's anger or fear or or sadness, and we keep pushing it down and judging it, it doesn't go away. It kind of gathers up, right? And it just adds up and then we blow and wonder what's wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with you. Give yourself permission to be human. Experience those emotions. They won't be in charge of you anymore. And that's a big source of, of our anxiety. Carol Pesci, her book is Hello Beautiful. If you know someone who needs to find her self-esteem, email me from the website casey.co and I'll send you the book. Carol Pesci, K-E-R-Y-L-P-E-S-C-E dot com. Finally, what do you say we all go vegan for three weeks in the new year and just see what happens? Dr. Neil Barnard is one of the leading authorities on the vegan diet, and he wrote the Vegan Starter Kit. Is he vegan? I follow a vegan diet now. And I have to say, I don't use the word for myself. It's not like I'm a vegan, but my foods are all vegan. In other words, my, my breakfast is not going to have bacon and eggs on it. It might be a big bowl of oatmeal with cinnamon and raisins. My, my angel hair pasta at night will be vegan. It'll be topped with the arrabbiata sauce and wild mushrooms instead of the meat sauce. So, so I use it as a word for food, not for, not for me as a person. Not for people. Okay, so I just have to tell you this. My girlfriend went to Thanksgiving dinner, and her cousin had vegan tattooed across her neck. There you go. That's commitment. (laughs) That's commitment. Okay. We want to, you know, two things. I do feel like the whole world is evolving, and one day, hundreds of years from now, everyone will be vegan. I really do feel that. But but not doesn't have to be hundreds. Let's make it like maybe August. (laughs) Okay, maybe August. But I think we will look back and say, wow, you know, that's when people used to eat animals. And I'd love to be vegan now. I'm not smart enough. So that's why I appreciate the Vegan Starter Kit, everything you need to know about plant-based eating. Uh, Dr. Neil D. Barnard, the New York Times bestselling author, is our guest. So talk to people about getting started. What would we need to do first? Okay, well, the first thing is to know why the heck we want to do such a thing. Uh, Because vegan is really much easier than it sounds. It just means that you're eating foods from plants, not animals. So if your breakfast is um, 
currently, let's say you're having cornflakes with milk, well, splash on the almond milk instead of the soy milk or rice milk. That happens to be vegan. There's no animal products. And what that means is there's no cholesterol. There's no animal fat. If your lunch, instead of the meat taco, is the bean burrito, that's vegan. That means there's no animal fat. There's no cholesterol. There's no animal hormones in it. It's high in fiber. So you all, it's always a healthier choice. If a person has some weight they want to lose and you're struggling with all these different diets, plant-based diet, a vegan diet, allows you to lose weight without limiting calories and without uh, limiting carbs at all. You're eating a lot of food, but you lose weight. About a pound a week is average. Some people lose weight faster, but 52 weeks in a year, you're talking about 52 pounds uh, if you have average weight loss, which is just fantastic for people. I'm concerned about protein and calcium and iron and how do I get my nutrition if I'm no longer getting my protein from me? Oh, what a great question. Uh, you know, I'm glad you asked that because other people are thinking the same thing. And when I was a kid growing up in Fargo, North Dakota, don't know if you've ever been there. Mm-mm. But anyway, uh, it was roast beef, baked potatoes and corn, typical kind of thing. And we thought the meat was the protein and the vegetables were the, the vitamins or something. But it turns out that the vegetables and the grains and the beans have a huge amount of protein. Um, in fact, the government says that a woman should have about 46 grams of protein in a day. If you ate nothing but broccoli, not that you would do this, but if you did, you'd get 146 grams of protein every single day. It's just huge in protein, but not just broccoli. That's true of all the, veg- or all the green vegetables. It's true of beans. It's true of grains. So uh, protein is really not an issue. And for iron, green leafy vegetables and beans have you covered there, too. They have a special form of iron that's more absorbable if you really need it and less absorbable if you have too much iron on board already. So we actually prefer the plant-based sources of iron. Very good. I didn't know that there was protein in broccoli. I had no idea. Uh, Well, it doesn't want to brag, but it's got a lot of protein. (laughs) It doesn't want to brag. Holidays are coming up. Traditional foods that maybe people grew up with, they're no longer eating because they have a vegan diet. How do they manage through? When I started a vegan diet myself, I discovered that I found myself eating all the sides. So at Thanksgiving, I was the sweet potato guy. The sweet potatoes and the vegetables, all those things are really great for me. But I have to say, at a fancy dinner, if I'm planning a dinner or going out somewhere, I really encourage people to think international. So my favorite Italian place, you start with a salad and then the soup is either a lentil soup or a minestrone or pasta e fagioli, which, you know, pasta and beans. Or when my main dish comes, the angel hair pasta, instead of the meat sauce, I'd use the arrabbiata sauce, the marinara sauce, the tomato sauce with wild mushrooms, those kinds of things. Those are all the plant-based options. And if you want to have the espresso for dessert or whatever, perfectly fine. At a Chinese place, the rice dishes, tofu dishes, vegetable dishes, Mexican, bean burritos, veggie fajitas. So the choices are there, but thinking international often gives you lots more variety. Okay. What about kids? Can we raise our kids to be vegan eaters? Not only can you, but you really should. I have to say, kids growing up today, they're eating cheese and and pepperoni pizza, and they're gaining weight, and it's making them fat. It's increasing their risk of type 2 diabetes and so forth. The kids who are raised on a vegan diet, which, which again, is nothing unusual, it means serving your kids a piping hot bowl of oatmeal for breakfast instead of an egg or a big greasy hunk of sausage or something like that. When kids grow up with healthy foods, they are less likely to get overweight. They're much less likely to develop type 1 one diabetes to develop heart problems. The, the vegan kids also tend to be the smartest kids in the class. We, we don't have a lot of data on it, but the data that we have shows that they get a little bit of an intellectual advantage. So a vegan diet is great for any stage of life. Being a vegan makes you smarter. I heard that eating blueberries helps you focus. It 
could be that, or it could be, I, I suspect what it is, is that animal fat is harmful for the brain. Uh, there was a big study in Chicago that showed that the more people ate saturated fat, that's that solid fat you see in cheese or in bacon grease, the more people ate solid uh, saturated fat, their risk of developing Alzheimer's was about three times higher than people who didn't eat that stuff. So I'm not sure if a vegan diet makes you smarter or if a meat diet makes you the opposite, but eating your vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans is good for your heart and your brain. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back to like the 50s and the 60s, people didn't eat meat every night the way people do now. Yeah, that's right. And to see the effect, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. There was a man who joined one of our research studies. He had diabetes. He had been a policeman. And he had diabetes for about four or five years. He started a vegan diet. And the first thing he said is, this isn't hard. You know, instead of my meat chili, I have a bean chili. Or he's, I've got a lasagna recipe, which I put in the vegan starter kit that he really liked. And as time went on, he lost about 60 pounds. His doctor stopped his diabetes medications. His blood sugars came down to the absolutely normal range. And I saw something in him that I I had never seen before that, which is diabetes vanishing. He didn't have diabetes anymore. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was 15 years ago. Now we see it all the time. So if a person has diabetes and they think they can't get rid of it, try the Vegan Starter Kit. It's a very, it's a skinny little book. It's a short read. It takes maybe 45 minutes. You'll know exactly what to do. And I show you a three-week way of testing it out. And in three weeks, it will change your life. Perfect. All right. And where do we go for more information? Our website is pcrm.org. That stands for the Physicians Committee for Respect. Responsible Medicine, PCRM.org. Dr. Neil Barnard, pick up the Vegan Starter Kit. My honey and I are going to try it for three weeks in the new year. Let me know if you want to do it with us. PCRM.org has more. It took me such a long time to find today's thought for the day, to sort of wrap things up. But here it is from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who says, The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassions, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.